This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, Broadway fans. Welcome for another week of Popcorn Talks Broadway Breakdown. And we are going to be talking something really fun today. I'll give you a little hint. Do you want to be popular? Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. My pulse is rushing. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Broadway Breakdown. What is this feeling, fervent as a flame? Does it have a name? Yeah. Oh, yay! Yay! We should just leave it green the entire time. I know. (laughs) You can't help but sing to the soundtrack. Thank you for putting up with all of us singing every week here. Except for Except for the... It's just one of those shows where every almost every song for me, except for maybe one. <laughs> edit. Almost every song almost every except song. for the Professor Goatman song. Oh, that's I knew I love that. That is not a song. song. <laughs> um, but it, all the rest, you just yeah. have to sing. It's true. You have to sing. And plus, like, and that's nothing against Professor. A million that's times. nothing against the Goat Professor. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that nobody wants to be buying when they're trying to like do their Broadway thing. No one wants to be like divaing out in their car and then have to And stop. then have to make goat noises. I don't it's know what you just... guys are talking about. That's always what I do. It's your fave. Yeah, my fave. Hi everyone, thank you for joining us today. I am your host, Brianna Phipps. You guys can find me at bphipps14 on Twitter and Instagram. And I am joined by two lovely co-hosts today, both in their wicked green. Yes, both in the wicked green. Hi guys, I'm Taylor Gates. You can find me on Twitter at alphaba underscore Anne and on Instagram at Taylor underscore Gates underscore. I'm 123JackieB on all platforms. And don't edit our shirts out to put weird shit on them like Sarah Huckabee Sanders. (laughs) Well, don't invite them. Yeah, you just... I know. I kind of did invite them to do that. Everyone's like, wait, I wasn't thinking of it before, but now. (laughs) But now. (laughs) Um, Wicked is one of my all-time favorite musicals. It was a musical that I was very hesitant at first, and we're going to talk about the book later on, but because of the book, I was very hesitant about this musical, and because Wizard of Oz is such, like, a childhood, like, everything for me. Like, I watched that movie a million times. The witch in The Wizard of Oz in the original book, not green. Not green. That was an invention of MGM. But I saw the film before I read the books, so in my head, even though the books didn't say that, I was like, nope, she's green. Yeah, I saw the film before I read the books, too. Same. But then when I read the books, I was like, there is no mention of her being green. These shoes are silver. What is going on? <laughs> there was a lot of differences between the original book. Yeah. There's a lot of differences between the original book and the film, and then a lot of differences between the original book of Wicked and the play. Yes. So it all works out. We just have to change things here and there. Um but I do love this show. This show, I think, it, I think it came out right as I was kind of finishing high school. 2005, I think. Yeah, so I was a junior in high school. So, you know, it's all that time when you need to, like, sing yeah. around school and annoy people and have your ringtone be popular because phones just got the what if you advancement did that? of being able to have songs what if as a you, ringtone. Just, just asking for a friend, what if you did that and you weren't in high school and you had graduated from high school at the time? I mean, you do you. Perfectly acceptable <laughs> in my in my mind. I mean, I still sing popular as I walk around, and I just don't care. It's fun. It's I fun sing song. pretty much anything, and I walk it's around. It's fun music. And I don't care. It's one of those. The music in it is one of those things that's like so catchy, so stick in your head, and then you re-listen to it, and you keep catching more and more little lyrics that are such. We were talking about it earlier. Yeah. Little Easter eggs. Yeah. Like, the problem is, though, now I, I hear, like, influences in other musicals from that, and I'm like, you stole that from Wicked, where Book of Mormon did it on purpose as, like, a joke, but then I was listening to the Anastasia soundtrack, and there's one song that the, the dude from Anastasia sings that I'm like, he just took this song straight from Wicked. Um, what is this? And we do have a very special guest joining us today, um, my friend Peter John, who was in the national tour, and also was in the um, L.A. tour with Adam Lambert, is on Skype with us. Can you hear us yet? Can you hear us? I don't think he can hear us quite yet. We're good. Oh, we can't hear him. Or we can't hear him. One of the two. We can see you, but we can't (laughs) hear you. 
No, really, we can't hear you. <laughs> uh, oh, okay, hold on. He, he's working We're on it. Let's keep it going. We're figuring out technical okay. difficulties. Technical live, live production, difficulties. everybody. Just like in Broadway, we got to keep the show going. Keep it rolling. <laughs> keep it rolling. We're going to get stuff worked out with him, but let's talk a little bit more about the music. So we do have a lot of different types of music, and one of the parts about the music that I love is that these roles were written for Adina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth's voices in particular. They had them in mind before they even, like, I think, asked them to be a part of this show. And it tells, like, it shows through the music. Like, they fit their voices so well. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely see that. Like, especially Kristen Chenoweth's voice, or soprano's just insanity, and they really make sure that she gets to show that off in this show, which is so fun to I've said to. for a long time that I'm pretty sure Kristen Chenoweth's contract says that she has to hit a certain note every yeah. show or she doesn't do it. Break some glass, you know? <laughs> this is also perfect not just for her singing voice, though, but for because she has a very, like, cutesy, high-pitched, distinctive yeah. voice, it, it was a perfect role for that kind of voice. So I... I, I Even her that. look, like she's so little. Yeah, and she's so tiny. And she just is like Glinda. Yeah, Galinda. Galinda. At first. At first. <laughs> I think that's one of my favorite parts of the show. Is that with the guy? With a guy. With a guy. <laughs> and her like all of her little annoyances because when you have the film Wizard of Oz, you don't. Glinda's like the nice witch that comes in that is the like good guy, and to have it be like no, I mean she was good and she was nice, but she was also kind of stuck up, snobbish, and annoying. We're like, oh. It's all about challenging your perspectives on things. I mean, I think that's what the original book was supposed to do as well. I mean, Gregory Maguire, he didn't just write Wicked. He wrote a a series of books that were challenging the perspectives long before this became in vogue, um, which it is now with shows like Once Upon a Time, where you see the villains through a different Mm -hmm. viewpoint. Well, yeah, Wicked kind of, in my opinion, started a whole kind of thing where people wanted to do that because we got Maleficent. Mm-hmm. And all these, and I'm, I was kind of like, okay, it worked in Wicked. I don't think every villain can be made into. But I do think there is something for showing that, uh, may, giving you some sort of humanity in a villain, where you kind of understand where they're coming from, because it, it gives, it makes, raises the stakes. And so when you're watching it. I, I I always think of Thor because Loki, like his his upbringing in the beginning is kind of shitty so you kind of understand why he does what he does even Mm -hmm. though what he's doing is despicable um i just heard they're trying to do with corella de villain i just really don't care about a woman who wants to kill little puppies what her (laughs) excuse is for it don't care like bringing it back to glinda (laughs) though that's a really good point because not only does it give the villain humanity it also complicates the perfect character like Mm -hmm. she's got some sass she's definitely not perfect she has to be perfect because that's what other people view her as exactly it just gives everyone more layers more dimensions not just wicked witch of the west i like how it does that with kind of all the characters and tells even the backstories of like the scarecrow and the tin man and i like how they incorporate everybody into it also they have the silver shoes yeah they have the silver shoes in in the original wicked they don't have the red ruby i think they turned red at one point Mm -hmm. for a small point of time they do but then they go back silver. Yes, so it's they fine. do. They do. Um, so I do appreciate, too, that they did kind of take stuff from everything. They took stuff from the film, stuff from the original book, and stuff from the Wicked book mm-hmm. to kind of create this musical. Because if you've read the book Wicked, it's not necessarily... Uh, not necessarily. It's, it's not very a, political. It's very different. It's very political. Um, and also because Gregory Maguire is laying down this, like, like very well-thought-out worldview Um and that he th- he th- threads through his other books that are also about mm-hmm. Oz and the other various characters. So when you're doing a musical, you don't need to lay that heavy into like setting a political world. I mean, they do here, but it's like you understand they do it in that a in a way that isn't so intense and harsh for us mm-hmm. as the book was. I mean, for me at least, because I saw the musical before I uh, read the book. And so when I read the book, I was expecting the musical. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wait, no, no. That, nope, See, nope. I read the book first and then watched the musical. And I think that for me, that was like the perfect thing because as much as I enjoyed the book and as much as I enjoyed that he went on this like very well thought out like political journey um, in his book, I appreciated that I went into with some understanding because I do think that like if you didn't read about Wicked, you might be even though you know something about the Wizard of Oz, you might be a little bit confused mm-hmm. about like the politics or what's going on. Um, so to me, having that foundation made me enjoy my first viewing even more. 
It's interesting. I, I also saw the musical before I read the book, and I was expecting something more kind of bubbly and colorful, and it, it is a very, like, bleak kind of book. It's sort of grim, but it does give more kind of texture and layers, and um, it's interesting to see the author's kind of, like, yeah, political-type type worldview come into it more. I think you know what I just thought? It's like, it's like, uh, Skype right now. I think we were able to get before I lose this thought. Okay. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like wizard of Oz meets game of Thrones is what the Mm -hmm. book is like. That's so true. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. (laughs) Um, so we got Peter back up. Let's see. You here with us, Peter? Nope. Still can't hear. I feel, I feel like Yentl. I'm like, Peter, can you hear me? Still not we're getting the volume, we so we're gonna hold off for two seconds more and hopefully we'll get it fixed. Um also such a important theme in the book, and it is a political one as well, is this theme of treating animals as lesser than humans, um, even though in this version, uh, in this world, the animals can talk. And the animals can be interactive with humans, but they're still, you know, viewed as less. So like that is a very resonant theme that you can translate into our world obviously yeah um and because of this the animals and they're trying to get the animals to lose the ability to talk try to make them more livestock rather than equal to human so i think that was such a big um theme for me and such like a huge part of this show that i thought like if you're like a little kid going to the show and watching it like it's the same thing that zootopia almost did in a way yeah Mm -hmm. it's it is kind of like that yeah Um, i learned to accept people for whatever well yeah well you're using you're using an animal allegory to to speak about like why we for whatever reason single out certain classes of people and say well you have to be over here because of the color of your skin because we said so and it's like well that's not a very good reason mm-hmm. and um they're trying to draw those parallels and they also use like the they use the same kind of thing with Alphaba being an outsider and mm-hmm. having green, green skin. skin. Yeah, of course. Um, Even which is interesting because then you compare it to in the books, Fiero. Like here, Fiero is kind of like this like cool yeah, hotshot guy. In the books, he's like covered in. In diamonds. the books, he's covered in blue diamond tattoos. So you're like, uh, it makes you think even more. Like, well, why is blue diamond tattoos okay, but green skin's not okay? I mean, and that's such prevalent in that very first song. Like, not the no, the very first song. Um, when they pull the baby out and all of a sudden it's like, get that thing away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they're so excited about it and then, oh, she's green. And then it's, yeah. it's, it's, the whole, her whole life's different just because of it's, that one And having the wizard be evil because, like, when you watch the movie in the end, you're like, he's like, I'm a humbug. And everybody's like, oh, okay. Oh, shucks. Like, they're mad at him at first and then they're like, oh, you're from, you're from Kansas too. Or I forgot. I think he, Kansas, yeah. yeah, he is from Kansas too. Or he was in Kansas when he He was in Kansas, but he was from somewhere in the Midwest or something or whatever. Anyway, but you have everybody kind of forgiving him for the shitty things he's done, which in this, like, he does even shittier things and you realize he's not really a forgivable character. Can I just say really quickly how stupid I felt in a way when I, because I'd listened to the music so many times, and then I watched the show, and finding out the wizard is the guy from the beginning, or finding out that Fiero is the scarecrow, and I was like, how did I not get this? That's like, how thing, am I though. so dim that I didn't understand? Like, I listened to the music now, I'm like, obviously that's Joel Gray's voice. What? That's the thing, though. Like, we were talking about it kind of in the car on the way over here, is this is one of those musicals that you do kind of have to see to understand it all, because there is a lot of um, dialogue that's not in the music. Like, Hamilton, it's, like, basically the whole show. Falsetto is totally basically agree. the whole show. Totally here, agree. It's, yeah. You know, there's a lot of dialogue, and the music's kind of... It's obviously very important, but they go hand in hand. Yeah. It's not just music. But yeah. going back and listening to the music, you can definitely be like, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, mean, even, like, think... Dancing Through Life, when he says, um, he says something about not having a brain. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... There it is. There's so much great foreshadowing, too, um, <laughs> in, that, in that first song, I know. Um, or no, it's in Wizard and I, I think. And Alphabet's like, someday there'll be a celebration throughout Oz. Yeah. And all to do with me, and there is. But it's so tragic because the celebration's that she's dead. That she's dead. It's so yeah. sad. Is there really is sad. a lot of... But I do, I like that this is, this is a play about female friendship because mm-hmm. so many times... And it's about two kind of opposite people that you wouldn't normally think could be friends. Well, it's interesting because they use this trope of like, they 
there's several things going on. So you have the like Madonna whore trope where you have like the evil woman and the like nice blonde woman um, trope. But you also have the trope of like two female antagonists like like fighting it out and duking it out to the end. And here they they add layers of it to show you that it's not just black and white. It's not just like this woman versus this woman. It really is about a very complicated friendship, mm-hmm. which I appreciated because it gets so tiring as a woman to watch shows where you're like, okay, like this is this stereotype, this is that stereotype, and, and they're fighting it's and they're also not the, friends. Like, yeah, it's also the different stages of the friendship. Yes. So like, you know, first like, who is this person? I, they're not like me. I don't want to be friends with them. And then like kind of under, learning to understand them and becoming friends, but then the fallout over a boy. This is one of those shows where the love triangle doesn't bother me so much though because it, it makes sense and it's not just about the guy. What well, also it, gives Fiera more depth to have the mm-hmm. love triangle because if he didn't have the love triangle, he would just be Galinda's little boy toy mm-hmm. person. I do think the love triangle is important, but again, what I like about this is that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like the love triangle literally doesn't matter. When you go away thinking about uh, Wicked, you think about for good, mm-hmm. and that like that's one of the songs that sticks in my head. Or Defying Gravity, they sang you know, for you good think at my uh, graduation. <laughs> yeah, you think of the big, yeah. you think of the big like ballsy female numbers that are in this. You don't necessarily think ah, Dancing Through Life. That was the best Although, number. Mm-hmm. Um, I Not do, that it's a bad number. I like it. I did yeah. just say, and I have to look up his name because I always forget it. Um, Bach. Oh, Bach is yeah. one of the saddest characters to me yes. in the so entire sad. show. So sad. Big Bach. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's in love with this girl. She has no clue who he is or care of who he is. And then he kind of finds this other girl that he, I mean, and then that's where almost sad settles too. for. But then she like traps him and won't let him leave her that story sad too though because yeah Nessa's like super obsessed with him and won't let him go Nessa's like one of the most underrated characters for me like I don't know she has such a like kind of cool storyline of her own I just love that uh what's her face from Sabrina the Teenage Witch played her yes Mm because she's perfect (laughs) because it was just like my childhood of Wicked Wizard of Oz mixed with my childhood of Sabrina coming together as well. She loves the witches. I do think she's an underrated character. I think that's another, like, it's another character where here you have a woman who eventually becomes, like, the mayor of the Munchkins, and she she's dealing with her own like problems and insecurities and and the way she puts out her insecurities is by treating people terribly but you know maybe we should write a sequel all about nessa rose (laughs) isn't this a prequel though let's write a sequel to the prequel i do actually if you wouldn't mind getting on that all right right (laughs) away tomorrow we'll have it out um also madam morrible here's a character that is probably one of the only characters besides um, professor, Dr. Dilliman, not Professor, sorry, uh, who is not from the original books at all. Or the, not a horrible from the book. From the original books, sorry, from, not from the film. Oh, and yeah, not, not from, from the film. Yeah. Um, stuff like, because I, I, I assume like people going to see this a lot of times don't know the original books, like they just know the film. Um, and she's such like an important key character in tying everything together. I hated her in the novel because her character is so evil in the, in the novel. And not to say that she isn't evil in the play, but it's just, it's that diva evil that you just love. Mm-hmm. I mean, whoever plays her always has to have, like, yeah. this, like, incredible voice. I always, like, looks-wise think of her as, did you guys watch Futurama? No. At all? No. Mm-hmm. Well, the it's mom from Futurama. Um, she has, like, this big, gray kind of, like, heart hair and this, like, very old-timey-looking dress that she's always wearing. And she's she's kind of got, like, like old, a bustle. Kind of old hag kind of character that's just really mean to her sons, but, like, she kind of really. I'm really excited about characters who wear a bustle skirt, so I was excited about that. <laughs> I was excited about that costume choice. Um, and, yeah, and then Dr. Dillman's our other kind of character that I don't think many people coming into this would necessarily know unless they've read one of the books. Right. Um, and he's... <laughs> the actor, I just, he gets such a short time. He gets that one song, a couple scenes to like really good cast, and then the rest of it is him crawling on all fours, being. Yeah. I mean, they need that character to establish yeah, everything else like, that uh, goes on. Yeah. yeah, he's like a catalyst, so he's like a very key, though small. There are no small parts, Brie. <laughs> I'm not saying they're small. I'm just saying I always feel bad for the, like, especially for people that have to crawl around on yeah, the stage on all fours. Yeah, fair enough. I feel bad for the entire cast of Shrek. They have to be on their knees for most of the show. It's just a hard thing to do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but he is no, he's a pivotal character, and he does, you know, it does it, the fact that Alphaba is like kind of the only person that's caring that this is happening to him. Because you think back and you think to college or high school or whatever it is, and you think about your teachers, and you have your favorite teachers, but you do think like there are so many people in classes that probably like you know I cared about that teacher, but would other anyone else care? Like, you know, there was teachers in my school that. Um, got cancer and I died and like I was like so sad and then people were like who and I was like how do you, how do you not remember them like so it's like kind of the sad thing that these people come into our lives and they teach us this stuff and they kind of make an impact on our lives but how many people actually care or think to remember them I like that they set this at a school because I do think that like everyone who watches this can have the feeling of oh I related to this certain teacher and that teach that person really moved me or changed my life. I feel like everyone's had that experience with some teacher at some point in their lives. So I think that setting it as a school is perfect because not only do you have the like the kind of classroom dynamics of like popular versus not popular, but but then you have that that same thing that you were saying where it's like one teacher can really like make a difference in mm-hmm. someone's life. And it adds that extra layer of like we always think of like our teachers and our parents as these kind of like invincible type figures mm-hmm. and the fact that something's happening to him that gives you kind of that panicky feeling um, like of like a loss of control yeah. because someone like you look up to and think is like that could never happen to them. Mm-hmm. That just adds a whole like layer of like franticness I feel like. And just even, like, her going to this city that she views her whole life probably as, like, this magical, amazing place that she strives to go to where people won't care that she's green. Yeah, she's super excited, and then she finds out it's corrupt. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, I think, like, the the show does everything obviously so well, but it really captures those different stages in your, like, later adolescent life where, I mean, coming from a small town, like, I can relate to, like, thinking, I just need to get out of here, I need to get to a big city, and then everything's going to be different. Mm -hmm. And then going to that big city and realizing that while things, yeah, there are differences, but there are still things that are just the same as a small town. Yeah. It's such a coming-of-age story, for sure. Mm -hmm. And also to have this wonderful, flashy place represent her as the green. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I, you know, sidebar, random (laughs) sidebar, like, they have that, uh, they have that scene where they're like one short day in the Emerald City, yeah. So in that scene, they have characters that have like huge heads and no arms, which um, I can't remember if it's from. I read a lot of Oz and I read a lot of C.S. Lewis, but it reminds me of like a lot of characters. I think actually from C.S. Lewis, probably. But I, I like that like they're using these kind of like weird creatures, mm-hmm. not just because uh, in Gregory Maguire's book he. Not that he takes out the fantasy, but he tries to make this all very gritty reality. Mm-hmm. And I liked this bringing it back to this kind of like campy Oz weird character um, scene yeah. of the Emerald City. It's like I wish we had Peter on the line. I would. Um, I know because I believe that that's one of the characters he played because he was a dancer in the show, so he had to play a multitude of different characters. Um, I believe the head people was one of his it's uh it's such a bummer that his audio is broken because we're i'm i'm so curious to hear about how that worked because when we talked about this when we talked about beauty and the beast all the dancers had to be super strong um and this show especially like yeah because i mean you think like peter um, i'm sure all the rest of the dancers like are playing multiple people and i'm sure every single dancer they have also is playing a monkey at one point Mm -hmm. which i know peter played history the monkey that could um talks at the end right but they're climbing on the sides of the set they have harnesses and are Mm -hmm. flying they're doing like these like acrobatic tricks they're and then like are in these ridiculous costumes the other half of the show and lifting people and i'm sure it must have been like so much practice over and over again like even probably like going on stage and having to do that i would be if that was me i'd be like oh my god please don't mess up anything please don't let my like costume catch on something yeah that's all I would think about and that's a good point since you're playing these kind of vastly different roles that probably engages so many different parts of your body and you have to like morph into these like very different physically different people in the I'm same a- show I'm also hopefully maybe we can do an interview with him a different time because I'm also like wildly curious about like how the costuming affects that or what the audition process was mm-hmm. like because like you can imagine someone going in there and being like I need you to act like a monkey yeah plus <laughs> you think about these roles and people think they think you know Alphaba Glenda right uh, 
Nessa, Bach, Fiero, whatever. And they, but like, you don't think about these background people that are doing all this dancing, but they're like on stage almost the entire time. Yeah. Being very physical. Like, this is one show that the main actors don't do much dancing of their own. Yeah. I can imagine, though, because it's so sing heavy, you wouldn't want mm-hmm. the. Only uh, Sutton Foster can dance <laughs> a whole two minute tap dance and then belt for a minute after that. Yeah. I would be so winded. <laughs> that I, you know, I would just be like, <laughs> you gotta be kind to your actors. <laughs> give, give me just a belt. Just five that's, minutes. That's me walking up the stairs. Like, how do these people do this? Well, we've said, I feel like every week on here, we're just saying how intense being on Broadway is and how much of a workout it is. Like, you don't even need the gym anymore. It just, it, it bothered me. And in, in high school, I took ballet, and it would bother me when people are like, oh, ballet, that's such a foofy sport. I'm like, or such a foofy activity or whatever, like fluffy, you know? And I'm like, it's a sport. Mm -hmm. It's like you work really hard to be in a certain condition to be able to do certain moves, and I'd like to see you try it. Yeah, Yeah. I felt the same way, which also works into, because there is a lot of acrobatics in this show, at least, um, because I was a cheerleader, so I did a lot of gymnastics, and people also love cheerleading and I'm like it's not a sport I'm like I am dancing I am doing stunts I am flipping like don't tell me it's not a sport mm-hmm. do we have him I see a video I see a video do we have audio, audio? I think so yay, yay! <laughs> oh my gosh we have so many questions <laughs> yes uh, we were actually just talking about the dancing in the show and we were wondering how the costuming and the sets kind of affect you how you have to dance or being able to dance within the show that's a really great question. Um, the costume done by Susan Hilferty, they're amazing, but they are incredibly heavy and they are incredibly asymmetrical. So <laughs> you have, uh, you know, 10 pounds on one side of your hip and on the other side you're carrying, you know, a big stick and you've got a huge hat or a monkey mask on and it, it absolutely informs kind of your movement. Um, I believe one of the dresses that one of the, the women in the show wear uh, is probably like a 50-pound dress. Oh um, so it definitely affects your your ability to move. As a monkey, uh, as Chistery, I had on a huge backpack, and then from that backpack there's a jacket on top of it, and that's kind of where the wings come out. And you have to make sure, you know, you have the, the, the little cheat to to trigger the wings to fly out in the big moment, but you have to make sure that you're not making it obvious, like, here I am, I'm grabbing this piece of string that's kind of hidden in the jacket. And um, so it absolutely affects the dancing. And, and the set is incredible. Um, as history, it was really fun to climb around and jump from set piece to set piece. But again, you know, you're working with a, a pretty heavy uh, backpack type piece on your back. And it, it can get uh, a, little, a little hairy. There was definitely one time when my wings came out and the front of the stage, the lip of the stage is grated, and the wings flew out, it, everything was going really well, and somehow the tip of the wing got caught in the grate, oh. and I was stuck, and I couldn't move, and, and I'm trying, you know, my, my cue to climb back up the Oz head um, has come and gone, and it's, it's a little bit of panic starting to happening, and I can see, you know, the, the, the actress playing Galinda at the time is staring at me, kind of going, okay, what do I have to do to help you out? Um, but it's, you know, it, it, it worked out, and I got myself loose, and, um, you know, it, it's, it, was a, it was a fun show, and, and the costumes and the set piece, everything together uh, really informed the dancing and, and the lifts, and it, it's, it all... It all makes it happen. I'm curious, speaking of that, what they had you do at auditions. Were you climbing around scaffolding and auditions? No, not at all, actually. The audition uh, was a lot calmer. It was uh, some dance combinations, uh, some combinations that actually aren't even in the show, just to kind of get a feel for what people can do. I know that people that consider themselves more singers than dancers uh, were asked to do uh, a bit a movement that wasn't quite so so heavy uh but yeah no it wasn't like that at all in the show when i finally did get the job though uh the monkey track that i was um he uh climbs down the rope kind of in the very very beginning as the show starts the monkeys kind of three monkeys come out and in order to climb down the rope uh the man in charge of that felt that i needed to be able to climb up the rope 
So he made me climb it uh, quite a few times. I remember my arms burning for, for a good week or two after. Um, but as far as how that went, it, I think they kind of knew, you know, each track has a type. And I think if you were to line up every person that has done every track, you would see kind of the formula that they have uh, to, to find who is best going to fit into whichever track. I want to know which dance was like the dance that you dreaded having to do every night, whether that be because mm. of costuming or whatever it is. And then what was your favorite one to perform every night? Um, you know, I can't say that any dance number was something that I dreaded. Um, I think the hardest part for me specifically wasn't so much dancing. It was during uh, uh, the end of the act uh, for good. Uh, Chistery actually sits there for that entire song. And he's, for me, I was sitting on a really small piece of metal railing, having to kind of crouch down as a monkey. You're in you know, your monkey unitard, you have the big jacket, you've got the wings, um, you've got this full head covered mask on. And I can remember there were a few times when I would just be sweating and I'd be so tired and my you know, joints would be aching from being in that position for so long. And I had a few thoughts that I would think, well, you know, what would happen if I just ripped off the mask and said, ah, I can't do this right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, and it's hard because you start having that thought and all of a sudden the impulse to do it starts to kick in. And you're <laughs> like, no, no, stay calm. The song's almost done. The song's almost done. Um, luckily, the girls playing it were always so talented. So at least that was really great to get to focus on. Uh, the number that I enjoyed dancing the most, that's, that's really... Dancing through life was um, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed dancing through life. Um, it's just a really great time. Everyone's kind of getting together. It's the first time that we really break out um, as dancers. And it, it, it's, just, it's just a lot of fun. Is this one of the most dance-heavy productions you've been in or no? Um, that's a good question. I would have to say it's probably a medium version of, of, of a dance-heavy show. Um, I did West Side Story, which is obviously a very dance-heavy show, um, and most recently was in On the Town, which was also pretty dance-heavy. Um, uh, the thing about Wicked is it is dance-heavy, but it's, the movement is incredibly quirky, and it's incredibly specific. And I think from the audience perspective, with lighting and everything, everything looks really um, easy. And I think the professionalism of the people they hire, you know, that's our job. It's to make everything look as easy as possible. But I will say Wicked, uh, the choreography is kind of one of those um, tricky shows where it's actually really, really difficult. You know, you're, you're throwing a girl into a big press or a girl is getting thrown into the air and you're having to hit your high note at the exact same time. Uh, you know, your song and dancing through life or, or whatever it may be. And all the elements coming together with the costumes, wigs, you're singing, you're having to be on your mark. Um, you know, it's the eighth show of the week and uh, into a into a year and a half run, whatever it may be. It, 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 all of that coming together uh, definitely makes for a, a challenging experience. But I don't I wouldn't say it's the most dance heavy show, but I certainly enjoyed it. That's for sure. That's great. How long have you been dancing? Were you like super young when you started? Most people are, I know, but. Yeah, uh, for me, I was really young. I was about five, six years old when I started. My mom put me in tap. Um, she needed to keep me busy during the summer. Both my parents worked full time. And, you know, I think she went through the yellow pages back then <laughs> and, uh, and found a, a, a local school and thought, oh, okay, he could do this. And I don't think anybody expected it to take off for me the way that it did. It was definitely a. Uh, a passion and I, I feel grateful that I found it so young um, but everybody's story is different some people you know I know people that didn't start dancing till they were 17 18 19 and you know they're just naturally gifted for it they they have the facility to do it and with the right kind of mindset and focus and hard work they they're able to achieve what you know takes some other people 10 15 years to do I do want to ask it's a little off because I know it's not wicked but I know that you did the Tony Awards uh, for West Side Story. Mm -hmm. So I just want to know what, like, kind of the difference between performing in a show, like, day-to-day -day and then doing something like the Tony Awards. Like, what kind of has to go into that mindset? Right. Well, uh, you know, with the Tony Awards, uh, I did the Tony Awards when I was in um, West Side Story. And 
it was an incredible experience. But you have to remember that leading up to the Tonys, you have your, you know, six week rehearsal process. You have your four week tech process. Um, you finally open the show and then you kind of get into, um, you know, kind of that regular show schedule. And then on top of it, you have Tony Awards uh, rehearsals. Uh, because sometimes the shows have to be reconfigured or staging has to be redone to make it camera ready because, you know, a show that's, that's for the theater is not necessarily going to look as good on camera. So they have to figure out how to uh, make it look its best. And the difference I would really say is, you know, you, you kind of get used to eight shows a week. You know what your job is. You know what you have to hit, where your marks are. And, um, you know, you just kind of get into the monotony of that. But with the Tony Awards, you have millions of people watching. Your show is up for a nomination. And the excitement that comes with that is is indescribable. I will say that was probably one of my uh, favorite experiences in, in all of West Side Story. And really, um, in my career, it's it's. It's a life-defining moment in the sense that you watch that growing up, you imagine yourself on that stage, and all of a sudden you find yourself there. And, you know, to be dancing at Radio City Music Hall and, and to see all the stars and, and to feel the energy and the atmosphere, it really is unlike anything else. And like I said, it really was one of my favorite experiences. That's wonderful. I love that. Go, going off of that, too, because I know you were in the national tour, correct? Correct. Um, it does it differ like because I know when you're moving obviously different theaters are built in different ways is that something like because you don't really have a whole lot of time maybe to get to learn the stage yes you know you you get used to it I got really lucky uh I was part of the original cast of the first national tour so uh the beginning cities uh we had longer stays it wasn't such a a bus and truck where you know you're in a city for a couple of nights you you hop on the bus after a show one night you drive to the next city and you do it all over again we would spend you know i think we were in toronto was our first city and we were there for nine weeks and then we went on to chicago for seven weeks la for six weeks and so on and so forth so uh you we had a little bit more time to get used to the theaters but it was definitely not uncommon to have a nightmare uh, you know, when you're getting ready to move to a new theater. And I, it was always kind of the same nightmare for me where I could see the stage and I knew my part was coming up, but I couldn't figure out how to get to the stage. <laughs> and I was missing a glove and I wasn't quite ready. And my part was, it was coming. It was kind of running frantically everywhere. And then, you know, you wake up in a, in a cold sweat and you're like, okay, it was just a dream. Um, you usually, we usually had a, a day or two to get used to the theater. The show's set um, and each, each theater is it's already pre-planned if there's going to be any issues um the incredible crew guys that and 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 women that uh handle all of that they're prepared they know what they have to do they are working incredibly long hours to make sure that when we arrive it's all ready to go we just need to run through the show make sure there aren't any issues and go from there I have uh, one probably silly question, but how long did it take you to get into the Chistery costume? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, it actually wasn't that long. It was um, a unitard and then these special uh, toed shoes. I can't really describe them, uh, but, you know, it, it, it kind of cut your toes off in the middle. So you kind of had that monkey kind of cleft toe thing. Um, and then the jacket and the jacket with the uh, was built in with the wing. So I would kind of have somebody there ready to go who, you know, my dresser would help me into my costume. Um, I think the quickest change for me was um, being one of the oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of what they're called. Um, I want to call them a fathead, but that's not quite what they're <laughs> called. But uh, it's, uh, it was a really quick costume. It was kind of this Humpty Dumpty costume that I was in. And the neck pops up really high and you kind of, you know, moving around, you can't really see much. And I would have to hobble off. And I literally had 30 seconds to jump out of this big costume. They had to unzip me, throw off the big clown shoes that I was wearing, put on my monkey shoes, have the person, my dresser, put on my jacket and whip on the mask really, really quickly and run on stage. And it, it literally took two people, one person to get me out and get all of the costumes off of me, and then another person to get everything that I needed for the next scene onto me. Um, and it, that was probably the quickest turnaround. 
All that coordination is so incredible. Yeah, and this like, show does like I, I didn't think about it before, but it does have a lot of quick changes. Like even Glinda and everything in the beginning. Oh yeah, it's incredibly. There's a lot. I mean, the choreography that's happening on stage. Um, you know, the choreography that's happening off stage is just as important. Um, and a lot of that has to do with how are you changing? You get you get used to kind of putting it into your your muscle memory. Okay, I take off my right shoe, I take off my left shoe, I put on my right shoe, I put on my left shoe, I take off this piece of costume as this person is taking off my pants to put on my <laughs> shorts. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's really crazy and hectic and it has to be choreographed and planned so that you make your cue. And, and a lot of uh, prepping for in tech rehearsals is doing that. I think that was one of the biggest things is when you move from theater to theater, you would get new dressers. The dressers don't travel with you. Uh. So that would be a big thing, would be having to go over with your dressers, okay, this is what I need you to do, this is how I need you to do it, how can I make your life easier on top of it so that we work together to get you know me back on stage in time. Wow. That's. I mean, I never knew that, so that was so fascinating yeah. to me. Um, oh yeah, there's there's so much happening backstage. I mean, you have it. You you see, you know, the smoke and mirrors of a beautiful production. But what's happening backstage is usually controlled chaos. <laughs> <laughs> kind of speaking of um, the smoke and mirrors, like the set is phenomenal in this show. It's so beautiful. What's it mm-hmm. like, kind of um, being able to just like act and dance and just be in that environment because it's so lavish and kind of. Just insane looking. Well, and technological. I mean, yeah. you have like like literally moving parts, machinery parts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, with, with with automation and all the machines, you 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 never know what's going to happen. You know, nine point nine times out of ten, it's going to work, but something inevitably will go wrong, and you kind of have to adjust to it. Um, I think one of my favorite experiences was when Glenn, uh, excuse me, Elphaba was supposed to fly at the end of Defying Gravity, and she didn't. And, you know, all of us townspeople had to come out and kind of crawl out onto the floor and get as low as we possibly could to kind of give the appearance that she was flying in that moment. But, you know, the set is incredible. It really creates the life uh, of Oz on stage. And that's kind of the fun of it. You know, you have eight shows a week. It can get very monotonous. I think that's some of part of the, the challenge of, of being in a, in a Broadway show, whether you're on tour or not, that eight show a week schedule can really, can really, you know, take you down. And I think it's the actor's job and the performer's job to be able to find something new every single night. Maybe my character has a different point of view. Maybe I am going to just enjoy, you know, the, 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 the amazing people that I work with. Um, and the set really helps with that. It allows you to feel like here I am, I'm on this school bench. I'm, I'm in class. Dr. Dilliman is speaking to us. You know, it, it really allows you to live in that environment. And, and that's why the set is so important, not only for the audience to be able to enjoy it, but for the actors to really feel that they're in a, another world. Um, and now, Peter, go sorry, because we got run low on time, but I want to know before we let you go, is there anything coming up that you're doing or that you're currently doing right now? Uh, you know, I do have some things uh, lined up that I'm not yet able to uh, speak about. So uh, it is, you know, exciting stuff. And Brianna, I will definitely reach out to you and, and let you know once I'm able to finally yeah, let the cat I mean, out I'm of the bag. I'm going to be in New York but, next, you know, next year, so moment, you got to let me know. Uh, I decided to take the summer off and focus on really training in acting and singing and dancing and just kind of take a second to relearn and retrain and push myself uh, further because it, in this business, if you stop growing, you stop working. So yes. uh, that's been kind of my focus as of right now. Do you have social media where people can follow you and find out what you're doing? Absolutely. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, which I just joined this month. <laughs> perfect. I'm finally tapping into 2017 um, at PJ Cherson. Uh, so yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Well, thank you so much for yes, coming and talking thank with you. us. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you. It. It thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And I'm glad we finally got the, the microphone to work. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a great day. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. I, I liked uh, being having you know his stories about how sometimes the technology yeah. doesn't work on set and our technology it's, wasn't working here. <laughs> <laughs> it's very ironic. It also was just like reminded me back when we were doing um, Be in the Beast when we had Mark Kudish on and it just seems like no matter... Oh, he had that story about the set. Yeah, he had this story where the set wasn't moving. Yeah, so it just seems to me like the more lavish the costume, the more lavish sets, like, it is 
100% like more to go wrong. It's it's also why I think every every performer at some point in their life should do improv because mm-hmm. you are inevitably going to be stuck in a situation where something happens. Who knows what, but something happens and you got to figure it out and it's like the more you have people that feel comfortable with the uh unknown the, the better it is for you to be able to deal with that situation. Because, yeah. yeah. I mean, with television and film, you have the option of cut, redo. You don't have that with live production or, like, whether it be, uh, like, a stage or something like this where we're live right now, you just have to keep going with the punches, go with the yeah. flow, just do whatever have, has to be done. Um, yeah, and we I, don't edit this, guys. This is us. <laughs> Raw, real. Um, that was one thing, because growing up doing theater, that's one thing I always thought about with film was like, oh, that's so nice that they get to... <laughs> Well, it leads to a lot of no, untrained and the... lazy actors. I'm well, just going to say And there's other it. things that are difficult with film and television just as well. Um, so, you know, everything has its own thing, but it is very true that with theater, especially with Broadway, especially people are paying these crazy prices to go see you. Like, you can't just be like, all right, guys, I didn't do it right. Um, <laughs> Don't feel gonna, like doing it. Let's reset. reset. <laughs> or just like he said, like he wanted to like rip off his mask because he's sweating, but he has to sit there and be in this awkward position, sweating for being like, how much longer is this song going for? Right, right. Like, these are things that, but it makes it all that much more of a special experience for the theater goer, I think. Mm-hmm. The hard work. I mean, going and seeing and appreciating the hard work that, that goes into these numbers. Um, we could, uh, especially like we... Uh, I don't know if you mentioned it, but, you know, they're casting a film. And one of the things that worries me about a film of Wicked is that it's such a theatrical experience. And we've talked about this on Broadway Breakdown, where there are certain shows so, where Like, how hard. are you going to do yeah, it? Yeah, how are you going to adapt that? Because, the like he said, Defying Gravity, when she flies out into, you know, at the end of her number, like she's flying. Like, how are you going to make that... How are you going to make that... Um, as spectacular in a film mm-hmm. setting right. as because, it is in a theater setting. Because I can just remember, it's like, yeah, I had seen um, I had seen pictures of the Broadway production before I saw the tour come here, so I kind of knew what to expect. But when you're in that audience and she's high above you and she's singing that song, there's just an emotional like reaction to that mm-hmm. moment that I don't know how you're going to replicate that for film. Well, and the film is, it's been in talk since 2004. Yeah. <laughs> it has a director... Um, and Yay! producing the director is Winnie Holzman, and oh, okay. uh, the producing uh, Universal Studios is going to produce the film with Stephen Daldry. It's planning on being released December twentieth, two thousand and nineteen. So, so two years from this See? December. Yeah. Gives them enough time to come up with what to do about Defying Gravity because <laughs> I'm a, curious. Also to get a cast. Yeah. <laughs> and to get a cast, yes. Um, it's also just going to be hard, I think, for them to find a for cast. For you, they're going to cast Leah Michelle in every role. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> every role. Um, we do have the Tony Awards performance that is Defying Gravity, so you guys will see the flying up if you haven't seen the live production of it that we're going to go ahead and play right now. And then after we're done with the video, I'll talk about what um, awards it was nominated for. Don't be afraid. I'm not. It's the wizard who should be afraid of me. It's Adele Dazeem. Adele Dazeem, everyone. That's Maureen, if you're confused. Maureen, yes. I'm through with playing by. The rules are someone else's game Too late for second guessing Too late to go back to sleep It's time to trust my instincts Close my eyes and I think this Tony Awards was the first time I really could see the microphone embedded in the forehead I think her acting so good this You can see her like crazy eyes almost I get chills, I get chills I always just, with Adina Mazzo in general, whenever she Quick, sings, I just, I'm like, how does her mouth open that Come with me. wide? Like, I can't get, Think of no what wonder I can't felt, I can't Together. open my mouth that wide. Mm-hmm. Whenever Kristen Chenoweth performs, I'm like, how does someone so tiny make such a big noise? Together we'll be the greatest team. I also love the fact that most of the costumes in this are all kind of off-kilt. Like, yes. they're, they're not straight across. Yeah, it's the quirky aesthetic. 
thing with her is it just looks like a wart or something in the middle of her forehead. Like, you can't see it in the theater, but... I also just wonder how long the makeup for the witch takes. Like, how long before the show do you Because you gotta be sweating, too, on that set under that costume. So it's gotta be, like, something that won't run when you sweat. That's a good or point. that every time you're off the reef, you yeah. pick it up. You have to, you have to be able to get it off when you get a shower that night. It also just looks more flawless than my foundation. Yeah. Uh, it also looks more flawless than the ones that they've done for, like, once upon a time. And other, like, shows... I thought they did, like, some computer sort of generated thing, I think. Every time in the um, soundtrack when I'm listening to it, I start mouthing the words for this part because there's that empty space and I know the words now. Guys, I just got chills. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just so cool how they do that with the kind of, like, balloon tent. Yeah. And I'm sure that the first time she did it, I wonder if there was any kind of grabbing Because <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> The first time my, my wife and I saw this show, we were like, all right, here it comes, here it comes. And the mechanism broke, so she oh. was just on the floor. It was such a heartbreak. Oh, God. Aww. I think I cried the first time I saw it. Actually. Oh, yeah. I think I cried like eight different times in this show. And nobody in all of us, no wizard that there is or was, is ever gonna bring. Like, this her entire role is belting for the most part. Like except for maybe one or two songs, she is belting the entire. Random side line. note: I also like how they make the the soldiers' costumes match the soldiers' costumes in the in the film. In the film. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted them to do the like oh we except oh. for when I was a kid because when I was a kid I thought they were saying Oreo. <laughs> you were like everybody gets an Oreo, everybody. <laughs> hey. You know what? If it makes me get Oreos, I'm all for it. Um, so that about does it for our conversation of Wicked. I do have a couple Broadway news things that I want to go um, talk about. Is there anything you guys wanted to say right before we ended the... No, we're skipping next week. I just want to remind you guys that and we're back on the 13th with... Do you remember what we're back with? I'll, I don't. I'll find it. I'll pull it up <laughs> while we talk about the other things really fast. Um, so... Some Broadway news that came out recently. So we talked about Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. Um, I feel like almost a year ago. <laughs> well, Josh Gad and uh, I can't remember her. Oh, Rebel Wilson. Rebel Wilson. I always want to call her Fatty Amy. Um, <laughs> My name is Fat Patricia. Fat Patricia. <laughs> sorry. 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 Uh, they have, the people that are in the works of making this musical have talked about the fact that they want them to play Seymour and... Um, See, I'm just Audrey. Audrey, thank you. Uh, They have not said anything about it or have said that they're committed to this or anything like that, but that's who the production team is saying right now that they want. Oh, that would be cool. I think it would be really interesting, too, to have, because when you think of Audrey every time before, you think of, like, this very frail, like, little person. And I know that... Rebel Wilson has lost weight, and she's but you know she's not a tiny, tiny little person like um, what's her face from the film and the original show, um, or Carrie Butler. So I think it'd be interesting too to kind of have like a more curvy type, yeah. type of um, Audrey. As I well. do too. I do too. And I think Josh Gad would make a great Seymour. Yeah, he's. I Josh Gad could pretty much do anything. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I'm kind of fine with it. He can uh, do Murder on the Orient Express. He can do LeFou. Yeah. He can be a snowman. Yeah. <laughs> also, I kind of just wonder, though, if those are their picks, then, like, I, I'm trying to... I'm still trying to think of who can be the good dentist for that. That's kind of, like, someone... Now. I don't know, but... Because uh, if they're going to be up against those two, comedy-wise, yeah. they're going to have to be right. spot on. Right. Because both Josh Gad and... Um, Rebel Wilson are like amazing comedians mm-hmm. and can do kind of so much with so little even. 
Yeah. So. It'll have to be someone who's funny. <laughs> it's not someone that's funny, okay? We're just going <laughs> to cancel. Like Steve Martin. Um, uh. Next, they announced the casting for Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to find... Drexel was excited. I think one of his... Drexel, uh, who's been on our show before, he was excited one of his friends is in it. Um... Also, it has Carrie Butler, speaking of Carrie Butler. <laughs> She's going to be a Tina Fey's character. Oh, nice. Um, I'm trying to pull up the thing because my computer decided that it was going to not work anymore. Um, I'm so excited for this musical. They have, a, yeah. like, I think there's at least two people that were in the Bring It On musical okay. are set to be in it, which acting-wise goes mm-hmm. hand in hand, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I do have a link that I'll post onto our Twitter page that kind of has everyone that was cast, and it also has, like, a clip of them singing, so you can kind of see what they are about and what they can do. Um, I know that the girl that's playing Gretchen Wieners, I believe they actually cast an Asian mm-hmm. woman to play it, um, which I think is amazing, because mm-hmm. that'll be fun to kind of even switch that up a little bit, because um, they did a Mean Girls production here. Mm-hmm. At Rock, very unauthorized. Very unauthorized. I saw it, so and they were like, though. "Yeah, they were having uh, lawsuit problems." So because they, of yeah, the Mean Girls problem. Yeah. Um, but Gretchen Wieners was played uh, when I saw it, at least by a black woman, and mm-hmm. they made a bunch of jokes about her being Jewish and uh, because of her race. Yeah, so I wonder yeah. if they'll kind of translate that as well. With it's just, I think that um, it's great. Lauren Michaels is going to produce it, so yeah. SNL, yeah. Tina Fey is also producing it, so I yeah. think... You can't go wrong can't. It's going to be funny. It's going to be funny. Yeah. Um, and from what it looks like, uh, so I have Erica Henningsen is going to be Katie Heron. Um, she was last in the revival of Les Mis. Uh, Rachel McGat... Regina George, sorry, not Rachel McGat. I'm, I'm reading it as I go because it's a different article than the one I had earlier. Is Taylor Louderman. Um, she was one of the people from Bring It On, and she was in Kinky Boots. Mm. Uh, and then Ashley Park, who's in King and I, and in the Sunday, recently in the Sunday in the Park with George with Jake Gyllenhaal, wow. is the one that's playing Gretchen Wieners. And Kate Rockwell, who was in Bring It On, Rock of Ages, uh, mm. is, I believe, going to be um, Karen. Karen. Thank you. I'm s- the one I'm so who, spacey today. The one who has yes, <laughs> ESP. Her boobs can tell the way. Her boobs, her boobs um, can tell the way. Also, some uh, Barrett Wilbert Weed is going to be who was in Heather's the musical is going to play Janice, um, and Gray Henson. Um, they don't say these people, but they do say in the other article. But who's going to play what's his bucket? Whose hair looks sexy when it's pushed back? Um, Sam, oh. uh, Aaron Samuels, right? Aaron Samuels. They did announce it. It's not in this article that I pulled up right here, but it is in the one that I saw before, so I'll post it on our Twitter. And again, you can see him sing. Yes. Um, in other news, Falsettos, um, the, they just recently had let that out into theaters. Me and Taylor went and saw it um, about two weeks ago almost mm-hmm. at the uh, Grauman's Theater. Uh, they are putting it on Broadway HQ in the beginning of August. So if you want to see it, it's an amazing production um they filmed it amazingly yes. we cried we cried hard <laughs> and now i didn't that i have andrew rannells right and, yeah, yeah. andrew rannells yeah. christian borrell um stephanie, J. stephanie Block. J. Block. i had only known her from madam secretary um the show on cbs but i was blown away by her performance yeah like, she was amazing like everyone in it i thought was amazing mm-hmm. the little kid was amazing um and it's such a very simple set show like mm-hmm. you, they don't have much of a set they don't really have ton of costume changes or anything like that but it's it's just about the music kind of and it's it's worth going to see or worth um i don't know if it's going to still be in any theaters i don't think i think it's done with mm-hmm. that but Broadway hq i believe if you aren't a member it's like eight dollars to rent a show so if that's something you want to watch like eight dollars is a lot better yeah, than the fifty dollars or more that it costs to go see it in a right. tour on mm-hmm. broadway so or even going to the to movies is oh, more yeah. expensive than that. Pricey, yeah, but <laughs> we pay more than that for our movie theater tickets. Buy so. your popcorn at Trader Joe's and watch it on Broadway yes. HQ. There you go. And Broadway HQ, if you want to be a sponsor, you know, you can sponsor <laughs> well, we'll, we will argue with you. <laughs> um, the last thing I have for us today is Darren Chris um, made an official video for he's starting up a uh, or bringing back a thing. I think it is that is a, a festival. 
and um, he made a video of him singing a kind of different rendition. It's not of the Fire Festival, is it? Because that was a mess. It is. I that one. It is the Fire Festival. <laughs> I'll figure out. <laughs> Brought to you by Darren Chris. Darren I'll figure Chris. out what it is while we play the video. But he made a music video of Les Mis of him singing I Dream to Dream, but he changed kind of the orchestration a little bit, and it's oh. really cool. So we're going to watch that right now when I'll look up the festival. It's not the fire festival. That was a joke. Just letting you know. I would go if it was Darren Christmas. I would. I would bring my tent and eat the sad salads. Right. Not sure if I would play $1,200 though. And I was young and unafraid Dreams were made and used and wasted There was no ransom to be paid No song unsung, no wine untasted But the tigers come at night With their voices soft as thunder as they tear your hope apart As they tear your dreams to shame She slept a summer by my side She filled my days with endless wonder he took my childhood in a stride. He's so dreamy. This whole time, this whole time, yeah, everybody's just sitting quietly. I'm like, oh we can't, or else we'll get pinged. I know, sorry. <laughs> this whole time I'm watching so this, dumb. I'm just thinking, I, I'm going to Darren Chris's Fire Festival. <laughs> I'm going. I'm pitching my tent. Especially he's playing guitar. Not sure. Oh my god. This is beautiful. I saw him in Hedwig. He was amazing. Yeah, I saw him in Hedwig as well. Yeah. He, he's one of these actors that... He looks amazing in I think he's going to have an amazing future. He's... Yeah. He's already done so much. Like, you've seen, like, in Glean stuff. And, but even if you go back to the Harry Potter musicals oh, versus yeah. versus Hedwig, like, he's so diverse. Yeah. So I think He has a good sense of humor. It goes yeah. a long way. It's cool to hear him sing this style, too, because it's not what you usually... I think this is more like his style, like if you listen to his CDs. Mm-hmm. So you guys, we like this as a consensus. Yes. We, we audibly <laughs> fell apart. Would recommend. Because we couldn't, we couldn't talk. We couldn't talk. We just were sucked in. Um, so the festival is the Elsie Fest 2017. So it's um, the third annual festival which celebrates music from stage and screen. So is it Darren Chris in booty shorts with a guitar? I'm j- I, this is just a rumor. I'm starting. Where did the booty shorts come from? She Hedwig. Has Hedwig in the anger. Oh, okay, fair, fair. Sorry. Um, I was tuned out too. <laughs> you were just sucked in, Mark. Mark Don't 2 put was, it like that. <laughs> Mark 2 was enamored by this music. Uh, well, this was his announcement of the LC Fest of what he did. He made this for kind of announcing. It's going to be on October 8th in Central Park on the summer stage. So if you're in New York, unlike us, and can go. Um, it's a, like I said, it's a celebration of music from both stage and screen, and a portion of the proceeds will benefit Broadway Cares Equality Fights AIDS. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. I love it. It's um, wonderful. Performers, oh, these are from the past too, so this isn't recent, but um, past performers are <laughs> Leslie Odom Jr., Aaron Tavette, Titus oh, Burgess, people you never heard of, Lena Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Who are they? Who are those Who people? <laughs> Total no name. Like D-listers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's coming up on October 8th. So if you're in the um, New York area and you want to go, you can buy tickets. I'll put the link up on our uh, Twitter as well for that. Um, I hope he does more interpretations for uh, for social media as well. Yeah. yeah. I also really love just when people gender cross songs. Oh, mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Because it's, kind of, it's always fun for me to hear. Like, I forgot who there... There's some sort of uh, another Broadway Cares thing where they do that, like Aaron Tavette did it. And the... mm, they did a For Good one, I believe, as yeah. well, from oh, Wicked, cool. yeah. where two of the guys that did. You could just Google it. I think you do just Google Gender Cross Broadway. And then also... Um... <laughs> now you know what my browsing history is. <laughs> I, think it, I think the one you're thinking of, though, is Aaron Tavette, I think, did it with Jeremy... Or was it Aaron Tavette? I can't remember. But Jeremy... Um... 
What's Jordan. His Jordan from yes. Uzi's. And they did Smashes. Yes. Let Me Be Your Star. Yeah. As two guys doing it. Yeah. Cool. Um, so that's all we have for this week. I looked it up. Next, not next week, but the week after, August 13th, we're going to be doing Mamma Mia. Um, so make sure you guys join us for not that. Not Mamma Mia the sequel. Mamma Mia the original. The theater show first. And the then theater the show. Jackie will be back for the film, oh, which I'm I sure will she's be back so for happy about. Pierce Brosnan fan club. <laughs> <laughs> Where can they find you guys one last time? One, two, three, Jackie B on all platforms. Hey guys, you can find me on Twitter at alphabet underscore Anne. I know it's very love fitting it. for I today. Love it. She obviously doesn't like Wicked. I hate Wicked. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you guys can find me as always at bfips14 on Twitter and Instagram. And thank you so much. And we will see you in two weeks. We would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.